0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. Today's episode, we're talking tactical kit. So what is tactical kit? What do I mean by tactical kit? Well, everything from helmets to chest racks, plate carriers, body armor, belts, clothing, shoes, you name it, if you wear it, we're gonna cover it today. You know, I like to break down tactical kit into overt applications and then covert applications. You know, in my military career, whether it was in special operations or it was in contracting. I learned a lot about gear, equipment, and specifically what you would wear for the environment. If you think about the tactical kit market, it's really insane. I mean, you can get really any type of tactical equipment for the application. You know, you're a hunter or you're a contractor, you're in the military, you're in law enforcement, you name it, you think about it, you can find it, and there's kit made for it. I remember early on in my special operations career, You know, I saw guys with admin pouches, these pouches that had map cases and they had places to put your pins. And I thought it was a joke until I became a leader in special operations and realized that you have to have a pouch just for that kind of application. So we're going to talk about Tactical Kit and I'll give you some history behind some of the kit that I went through in my evolutions in special operations to shed some light on it. So I remember starting off in special operations and doing my first couple combat rotations and i was in afghanistan and i was at a remote fire base up in northeast afghanistan on the pakistan border and i was the money guy so i had to go back to bagram every month to collect money to pay my afghan special forces guys you know this is before the afghan national army or the afghan border police or police were stood up in afghanistan and we had to pay our guys cash, you know. So I used to fly back to Bagram and get a couple hundred thousand dollars. And I remember I used to throw it inside of a garbage bag. And so it wasn't that overt and casually take it back to my firebase via CH 47, a Chinook. And I remember our kit setups back then was way different than what you see now. It's funny because back then there wasn't a lot of. Places that were doing a lot of good equipment. You know, nylon was nylon, it was Cordura standard nylon, but the advances of new materials and new technology and textiles hadn't come around yet. You know, there was no uses of ripstop, there was no uses of high speed materials. It was really what you could make on your own. You know, and all special operations units were going through this. And the cool thing was some of the best units. Especially at the tip of the spear of special operations, we're designing and manufacturing homemade, you know, on our own, our own equipment that we use to allow us to do our job. I remember specifically later on in my special operations career, guys using rare earth magnets to retain the shotgun. You know, we had breaching shotguns that were these little shorty Remington shotguns that we used to do ballistic breaches, to shoot locking mechanisms. And our only option really was a little plastic C-clamp that basically retained it and kept it behind our kit. And so guys started taking rare earth magnets and attaching them to their belts or their kit, and then the shotgun would retain itself. But we were doing all this homemade stuff, you know, in Afghanistan. I remember there was this place called the Black Ops Store or something like that. It was some, some kind of weird name. And they had Afghan guys working it. And I remember going back to Bagram to go into the store and I would pick up you know, plate carriers from the guys because we didn't have really at that time many options for body armor, especially when it came to lighter body armor or plate carrier options to put our body armor in. Number one, body armor was heavy as hell. And in the mountains of Afghanistan at 7,500 feet and above, if you had heavy body armor on, you know, you get bogged down and you basically would become a heat casualty or you just physically couldn't move yourself across that terrain. So to get lighter, we would buy these lightweight, homemade essentially plate carriers and transfer our body armor into this stuff. So we didn't have this big wrap around, this bun that wrapped around our bodies and have all this excessive weight. So really kit has come a long way throughout the history, even the last 10 years, especially when it comes to special operations. So as I go through this, you know we're gonna talk about some overt and covert considerations for kit. And we'll go through everything from the helmet all the way down the shoes. But each time I'll give you guys a little story about how I saw the evolution, especially in special operations, and then give you my recommendation for the best kit out there. So overt versus covert, what does that even mean? So what is overt? So overt is basically not hiding the kit that you're wearing. We would consider overt kit the kit that you put on when you're expecting contact or you're not trying to hide the fact that you're reacting to contact or you're doing an offensive operation. So, you know, it typically is in multi-cam. It typically is things that are worn outside of your body. So the belts are external. The body armor is external. The helmet's overt. The nods. So I break down equipment into overt and covert because the covert consideration is you just don't want people to know that you have the equipment. You know, most of my time in special operations was spent on the reconnaissance side. And when you're doing reconnaissance in foreign countries, especially outside of a war zone, you don't want to give away more of a signature than you already are given away for the simple fact that you're an American and you're the big white guy or you're the big Asian guy and people notice you so it's one thing to be a foreign somebody in a foreign country but to wear overt kit to give a signature that you're somebody special more special than you are is a consideration and when you're doing low viz or reduced signature operations and you're wearing covert equipment the requirements are really the same as far as protection coverage being able to offensively operate but the way in which it's worn is completely different. So I go down the line and we'll talk about the equipment. You know, I'll give you some overt considerations and some covert considerations. You know, this equipment that I'm talking about isn't just for the application of special operation, doing a reconnaissance mission in a counterterrorism environment. A lot of this stuff can be applied to doing survival type or preparedness type or law enforcement type operations or it doesn't have to be an operation it could be hunting it could be an outdoor activity like hiking as we go through the equipment I'll talk about it all but just don't think about this in the context of this is what special operations guys wear all right so let's start off with a helmet what's the uses of a helmet number one a helmet can be ballistic right it could be Christ fast helmet where it's just made for protection helmets are good for ballistic coverage or for protection coverage of impacts back in the day when we used to fast rope out of helicopters we didn't use our big ass kevlar helmets we used protex and even recently in special operations history when we were mountain night vision we were using the adapters to mount night vision typically early on seven deltas to the ProTec helmets and they offered no ballistic coverage in warfare helmets are really important And they're especially important during night operations. Really, nowadays, if it's the reserve component job where I have to do army stuff and I'm wearing night vision, I'm trying to wear the lightest helmet possible. (laughs) I remember it being in Iraq, and good buddies of mine, we would get issued seven Delta and the PVS 14s to dual tube night vision. And when they first came out, they were really heavy. And so, what we were doing is we were counterweighting those by putting weights. And we were literally making homemade weights and attaching them to the back of our helmets. At one point, you know, we were getting the AVS6s, which were the lighter weight versions of them. And that made things easier, but we had to mount battery boxes to the back of our helmets. You know, before OpsCore came out, before Cry came out, we didn't have that option. You know, we had Mitch, and Mitch was the advancement on the Kevlar helmet. We still had issues because they had the lip of Kevlar over your ears. Well, if we were running Peltors or if we were running sniper weapon systems where we had to get behind a long gun and we had to put our eye in that field of view, we couldn't adequately do that. And so what we were doing is we were cutting the helmets and we were cutting them high around the ear. So we had the ballistic protection up top and something to mount our night vision to, but we could still get behind a gun and also running our ear protection it allowed us to give us some space to run our ear protection. It wasn't crushing our heads. You know, it was miserable early on running the Mitch helmet and then running ear pro, especially Peltors, and then running all the crap that you wore in your helmets. I mean, our helmets were heavy as hell. And typically back in the day in special operations, I remember every time we hit a target, the first thing we would do after we got objective secure is we would drop helmets and just get that shit off of our heads. You know, as we advanced into helmets... To better helmet options, we started seeing the OpsCore. We started seeing the fast helmets. We started seeing a couple other companies come out that were just making a better product. The OpsCore stands out to me because I remember being in Special Forces as a team sergeant in 10th Group when 10th Group first ordered the OpsCore helmet. It was almost like an act of Congress to be able to get those helmets. But when we finally got them, it was a game changer. You know, it was awesome getting those helmets because being a free fall, or on a halo detachment, you had to mount your O2 and you couldn't mount your mask properly with the other setup because you'd have to wear like this big ass gym helmet, which looked ridiculous. And it wasn't, you know, it was basically a, a fighter pilot helmet that we were jumping in early halo operations because it was the only thing that we could mount our oxygen mask to. So the Opscore came out and they had the rail systems, the Picatinny adapters with all the accessories. To where you could mount basically your oxygen helmet to this helmet. And so that was one of the advancements that we saw. Another advancement was in the chin strap. It sounds crazy, but you know, the chin straps come a long way. I mean, early on, we were just running the standard, you know, Kevlar strap, and we didn't have any space to really talk. So we were taking it and put it under our chins. And so that was obviously causing issues if we were doing airborne operations or if we were doing anything that required us to have it adhered to the top of our head. So then they modified it, and then they put the straps that ran along the backside of your head in the Mitch. And this provided adequate protection on the back of your head when making an impact, especially during airborne operations. But you know, as we advanced, there was a couple of things that guys were doing homemade. One thing we were doing is we were taking the NFL helmets and taking the straps, you know, those big ass chin straps, and putting them on because they were more comfortable And offered more protection than what we had in the mill as we continue to advance you know i personally ran an ops core i ran a cry bump helmet i've ran the fast new companies have come out and made some pretty good ballistic helmets the ballistic helmet that i run now is the hardhead veterans ballistic helmet it sounds funny it's the hhv ate ballistic helmet it's above the ear ballistic helmet shell And it's become the standard for really Mill, LE, anybody who's using it for ballistic protection. And I like the ATE ballistic helmet because it's owned by a veteran. It's operated by a veteran. And it's at a cheaper price point than these higher-end helmets. But it looks the same. And it offers the same adequate protection that you need. So definitely recommend you check them out. If you go to hardheadveterans.com, hardheadveterans.com, you can check out their ballistic helmet and the ballistic helmet is called the HHV ATE ballistic helmet. You know, nowadays they have these ballistic helmets that are almost just as light as the fast helmets, these protect protection type helmets. I recommend getting a helmet that works for the application that you're using it for, obviously. You know, if you're involved in contracting and law enforcement, definitely have a ballistic helmet. Even if you get the fast helmet, which is a non-ballistic helmet, and you're running it for protection or you're running it to carry your nods, get that velocity systems mount that goes in the front to protect you from actual small arms fire. I had a buddy in the commanders and extremist force with me that when we were downrange, he wound up getting shot in the head. I think it struck him in the side of the head. It went through his ballistic Mitch and it hit his head and then scalped him basically. But if it wasn't for that ballistic helmet, he definitely wouldn't be here. You know, if you're using your helmet just to wear night vision, that's another different application. You know, if you have the ability to, you can get a fast helmet. If budget's a constraint, you can get something a little bit cheaper, like a ProTec or a Solomon, and then run the mount systems that go over it. There's a lot of external mount systems that go on it. I like to run that hardhead veterans system. And then I run my nods. I have a pair of AVS sixes that are run on the front with my battery box in the back. Another thing I like is the OpsCore accessory mounts, you know, the ones that go on the sides. You know, you have the Picatinny rail mounts that basically set you up for a flashlight. You could put an LA-5 on the side of your helmet. You know, guys were asking me, hey, why do you wear an LA-5 or a Pac-15 on the side of your helmet? And that's because if I'm doing halo operations, I could mark my target or I could illuminate my parachute or I could identify my guys that I'm controlling with an infrared light at night or a visible laser day or night to be able to identify targets and stuff there's a whole bunch of different uses that you can use that accessory mount for also what I like is running the peltors external and using those little accessories that run that peltor ear pad. you know when I was a team start and I was running around with dual comms I would take that and I would take that off my ear and push it up on my helmet and then I have my earbud in with my dual comms, you know, talking to other guys and coordinating with other guys, but still have that adequate protection to push it down on my ears when I had to. So helmets have come, definitely come a long way. I remember not running helmets at all in Afghanistan because they were just too heavy. They were too cumbersome. And when you're hopping up in the hills in Afghanistan, you want to save all the weight that you can. And when it came to night operations, I mean, we were even using skull crushers where we just put them on our head. And skull crushers is the mount that you – it's basically a harness to put your night vision on as opposed to wearing this big helmet in the system. You know, it's funny how the military has evolved with helmets because in the beginning of the war, you know, when we're talking about, you know, even the Vietnam era of warfare, they really didn't use helmets in special operations. And when they did, it was only to mount night vision. And now we've evolved into this requirement that you have to wear a helmet, especially when doing night operations or any kind of a ballistic operation, training or real world. Now, what's the covert option? You know, we talked about the overt option for helmets. What's the covert option? Really, the covert option is honestly the new harnesses that Cry Precision's wearing, where basically you could fold it up and put it in your pocket, but it's essentially a skull crusher that's made of mesh that goes on over your head. And then you could you know tighten the straps down but that allows you to tie in a night vision mount to wear your night vision and you know that's the advancement of it the coverage obviously isn't going to be covert when you're talking about ballistic coverage but when you're talking about night vision or carrying night vision there's a whole bunch of different options out especially for covert stuff all right so moving on to chest racks when i was on the q course In special forces training, I was going through small unit tactics. Even in my days in Ranger school, you know, we were using the ALICE pack and we were using the LCE. Hell, I don't even know what LCE stands for, but we were using the LCE, which basically had ALICE clips. It had this OD green belt. And then we took these ALICE clips. Most of us modified them by using 550 cord. And then we mounted these little crappy pouches on it. Back in the day, these little things modified were the shit. I mean, everybody thought these were the best things since sliced bread. We had these little X harnesses. We had our canteens. We had ammo pouches. We had a little spot for our first aid kit. And guys started mounting all this aftermarket stuff on it, and it started to grow this little mini industry of tactical equipment. You know, we had our little rollout pouches on our back that had our med stuff, our general purpose pouch. And... As we advanced in that, we had companies that started making, especially after the global war terror kicked off, started making specialized nylon pouches for different applications. Like you take the uh, two four nine saw for example, the saw, you know, the squad automatic weapons, a machine gun, a five five six by forty five millimeter machine gun that's used in a squad, and you know, every squad's got one. And when you're carrying around that pouch. The way that the container comes, it comes with, I believe, 200 round drums, and those drums are big plastic pieces of shit, and they're hard to carry. They took up a lot of space, so what we started doing is putting them in little, what we call nut sacks, these little cloth sacks that we put them in, and we'd run those on the gun and then take the other ones and run them on our kit in these modified X-harnesses. The first company that I remember in special operations that really made good quality stuff was Tactical Tailor. And I remember even my instructors, one of my instructors who's a professional three gun shooter now, Travis, he had a X harnessed tactical tailor rig. And I remember seeing his rig and going, Holy shit, that is the shit. And I remember thinking, getting out of the Q course, that's the first thing that I need to get is get a good tactical Taylor harness. And chest rigs are important. Chest rigs are important because they're lightweight. But you could throw them on over body armor or keep them by your bedside. You know, if you're in a fire base in the middle of nowhere, you're not going to sleep in your body armor. And then when shit hits the fan, if you didn't have time to throw in your body armor, you can grab this one piece of kit that had everything. You know, a good chest rack has all the essentials on it. It has your ammo. It has a med pouch. It has a multi-tool. It has water. It has basically everything you need to survive. And I teach people this all the time that, you know, when you're in a blowout or bug out type situation, like an emergency type situation, you're going to grab whatever you got. And if you have body armor, for example, and you're in a situation where you have to bug out and move over terrain and move fast, you're going to drop that body armor. You're not going to carry that excess weight. You know, sometimes in excess of 20 plus pounds of kit and you don't want to adhere all your kit especially your essentials like beans and bullets and water to your body armor, because then, you know, you don't want to be ripping out body armor plates and in order to get your vest on, it's better to run it separate all by itself. You know, in small unit tactics and special operations running these LCEs, we had adequate equipment. We had enough, but obviously there's a difference between training and warfare. And in warfare you, you realize that, Hey, this couple pouches of a couple magazines isn't enough. We need all the ammunition we can carry on our person. And so chess racks are awesome. Some of the best t- chess racks that I've used, especially in reconnaissance, have been made by Tier Tactical, TYR Tactical. The guy who runs the company is a great guy. He, he's a big proponent of helping special operations, but his Tier Tactical Recce Rig is one of the best recce rigs I've ever seen. I ran it in the U.S. Army Special Operations Command sniper comp. I ran it in combat. I've ran it, you know, in Iraq and Libya. I've run it all over the place. And it's perfect because it allows me to have enough space and I can undo it in the front and lay down flat and prone. But then it puts all the stuff on my back. It's all lightweight. It's real well thought out. I definitely highly recommend that setup. All right, so the covert application of this. There's not a lot of covert applications for chest racks but there's some covert options. they are lower profile options for wearing that type of equipment. You know, some high speed stuff that I've seen is guys wearing, it's actually not high speed. It's actually really low speed, but it's homemade and it really works. we have are seeing those, uh, it's kind of like a cummerbund. It's an elastic cummerbund that goes around your waist. And sometimes they're used for protecting your stomach or your abs and your core. Sometimes they use them in weight belts. It's like an elastic version of a weight belt, not a leather version. Well, we've taken those and we've modified them so you could put little pockets so you run M4 magazines or pistol mags or small med kit and then wrap them tight around your gut and then hide that under your shirt. So it's basically a, you know, a chest rack that you wear underneath your shirt. All right, so plate carriers. You know, we call them plate carriers. We call them kit. We call it body armor. Basically, I'm talking about body armor that you wear that you put your plates or your body armor plates inside of. You know, back in the day, we ran Ranger body armor. We had RBav, we had RBA, we had essentially a flak vest. It was just a big ass vest that had armor fully encompassed in it, but it really wasn't made for tactical operation. Basically, a big jacket that's made of Kevlar, you would wear that and then you would put your LCE or your tactical chest rig over that and so then we started seeing you know obviously the invention of instead of the alice clips that we ran that had all the adapters we would run the molly gear you know the molly webbing where you would weave you know the back of these pouches and then you could put all these accessories onto this nylon that was ran onto this kit so the first versions of this that i saw in special operations was the eagle version of it you know the black hawk versions of it, the velocity systems versions of it or the at the time was mayflower versions of it the best ones that i've seen is paraclete you know paraclete came out and it was all the hotness because they actually ran a cummerbund an elastic cummerbund around that retained the body armor you know if you've ever used body armor and you put your plates inside of it and you're running around that plate coming up slapping you in the bottom of your chin or coming up on your back isn't that fun so to have an option where you could actually take a cummerbund and pin it all down to your abdomen was really innovative at the time. And Paraclete, when they came out with all the accessory pouches, was the right kit, was the right accessory pouches, was lightweight or lighter than the other options that we had, and it was high quality. And <laughs> I'm not really sure what happened to Paraclete. It used to be in North Carolina, but it was one of the best companies or the best kit that we would run back in the day. And I miss. Actually, I can't remember if I sold it or if I gave it away or something, but I miss my old school Pericle body armor because that was some really good body armor. I remember in special forces, they started restricting us on what we could wear. And the army or special operations won the Eagle contract and we got this Eagle equipment, but it was just super heavy. Like The pouches were heavy. The equipment that we were wearing as far as like the actual plate carrier was super heavy. The edges were really rough and frayed. It wasn't comfortable. It was really a poorly made kit. And some guys ran it. You know, if you were a smaller dude and you can get away with running a small, it wasn't that bad. But if you were a bigger guy and you weren't an extra large or a large kit, it was a pain in the ass. And it was heavy and bulky. You know, I remember when they came out with the kit and they said, you will wear what the Army issues you, which is the Eagle kit. And special operations, a lot of us, because it was tan issued, We'd buy the Pericle Intan and just run that instead, and nobody really said anything. Another huge accomplishment for Special Operations was the issuing of Cry Precision Kit. I wore the Cry Precision Cage Kit, and it was a great piece of kit. A little expensive, moved around a little bit, but what I found was the JPC, the jumpable plate carrier, was probably the best piece of kit that I've seen. It was lightweight. It carried the plates, no issues. I could jump it during free fall operations, could run all the stuff that I needed to. And if I needed to add something in addition to that, I would just throw it in a backpack or I'd throw it into an accessory pouch or literally just put it on a belt. What I recommend today is really sticking to Cry. I run the Cry JPC. I also run Velocity Systems body armor. You know, body armor aren't always created equal. If you're gonna invest in kit, and you're in the job where you you wear body armor or you wear some kind of tactical kit, I would definitely invest my money in good kit. Another huge consideration, especially when considering the kit, is all the accessories that you get for it. You can get a really good JPC. And if you go that route, you don't want to go to the store and get like condor pouches to put on that JPC. You want to get the cry precision pouches that made up with that because they're made a certain way, you know, they're made out of these lightweight materials. They're made streamlined for the JPC. So definitely consider the accessories that you want to get prior to making the decision to invest the money in the actual carrier. Some covert considerations are: you could wear the body armor and you wear it underneath huh, your clothing. And I laugh thinking about this, but I remember all the State Department guys in all of the countries that I've worked. They would wear these. XXL plaid shirts doing bodyguard moves. And it was obvious they were wearing body armor underneath, like full body armor, like body armor with the magazines and with all the pouches and everything attached to it. And they were wearing it underneath their clothes so they can go and fight from their stuff. Instead, you know, some low vis smart options are running like velocity system plate carriers underneath your clothing. And then when shit hits the fan, having access to Again, that good chest rack with all the equipment on it or having the streamlined versions of kit where you have the magazines hidden on the sides of your carriers or the sides of your body armor and you're not printing, you're not giving the signature that you potentially have something. You know, when considering all the options for your plate carrier, whether it's overt or covert, you have to think about living off that kit. You know, I do like running a battle belt. I'll get into that a little bit later but I run a battle belt with all the essentials. Well, I still want to have a plate carrier that has access to, especially the ammunition that I need, quick access to. One thing I do is I keep the front of my body armor completely slick. And You'll recognize that the first time that you start to do building climbing or you take a casualty or you're trying to do anything from the prone, that if you have anything on the front of your body armor, you're going to lose it. You're either going to lose it or it's just going to be uncomfortable as hell. Another consideration is what do you wear on the back? You know, if you're driving, if you're mobile most of the time, you don't want to take all this kit and these pouches and stuff them on your back. You don't want to have a Nalgene bottle mounted on your back with flashbangs when you're sitting inside of a vehicle, 70% of your job. So consider that, consider the layout when looking at your plate carrier or your body armor. I like to keep things on my side, I run my radios on my side, and I like the cummerbunds that go over the magazines. You know, if I'm running like a tier tactical kit, I'll use the cummerbund version of it so I could retain all that stuff underneath the cummerbund and tuck it away. And so it's slick on the front so I don't have all this shit that's all bulky and in the way. You know, some innovative new things that are coming out. I've seen tier tactical. tier tactical, Jason Beck, the guy who runs tier tactical, is a pretty cool dude because they come out with innovative stuff and kit. And one of the things he has is this brace system. I'm not sure what the name of it is. You can go on his website. I think it's teartactical.com. But he has this X harness or this harness system where it takes the weight of all the body armor and all the stuff that you're wearing and puts it across your hips. It avoids putting all the weight on your back. If you've done long duration operations with a plate carrier, you know that the way it sits on your body is an optimal. And then over time, it starts to weigh down on you and pull on your shoulders and cause all these strains. And he's got this system basically that supports it off your hips so you can do long duration operations and still retain all this weight. All right, guys, so that's it for tactical kit part one. I'm going to do two part series because I want to cover a few other things. I want to cover the actual armor, belts, clothing, shoes, all that good stuff. And I don't want to cut anything short because this is an interesting topic and it's going to evoke a lot of people asking a lot of questions and I look forward to your feedback on this one. If you guys got any questions or input, you guys can email me at media at philcraftsurvival.com. Also, you can check us out at philcraftsurvival.com. Check us out on Instagram at softsurvivor and at philcraftsurvival. Also, you can check out Kurt's Instagram. I plugged him last time, but Kurt's our new training director. You can find him at kurt underscore team philcraft. Hope you guys are digging this episode, and I hope you guys tune into the next episode, part two. Until next time, guys, stay alert, stay alive.